Today, my message is um, it's one of those big picture messages. And when I preach, when we preach big picture messages, it's always an opportunity for us to recalibrate our hearts and refocus on the things that matter most. Okay? Not that other things don't matter, but we recalibrate on making Jesus supreme again in our hearts. It's a big picture message. And I'm just going to say the main point of today's message right from the front. And here's the main point. Life is all about Jesus and it's not about me. I'll say that again. Life is about Jesus and it's not about me. That's the main point of today's message. And brothers and sisters, we live in a society and we live in a culture where if we're not careful and aware... We can become, without even knowing, we can become more and more narcissistic and self-centered. We live in, we're saturated, especially in a first world country such as Korea. A lot of things around us are geared towards us focusing, us focusing on ourselves. And, you know, even if it seems as if we do, even as Christians, even if, even when we, it seems like on the outside we're doing things for God. If we're not careful and we don't check our hearts deep inside, we could be doing it for ourselves. And I'll put myself out there. I had to check my heart before I come up here and preach. On the outside, I'm doing it for God. I'm a pastor. I'm serving and preaching. But on the inside, I could be doing it for myself. Oh, I want to be a better preacher. Oh, I want to develop this skill. Oh, I want people to know me as a great preacher or whatnot, right? As followers of Christ, one of the core fundamental truths that we always must remember is that the purpose of life is not about me. We constantly have to remind us ourselves of this. It's my responsibility as a pastor, actually, to constantly remind the church that it's not about us. It's all about Christ. So turn with me to today's passage, which is John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 25 to 30. I want to give you a moment to turn there in your phones or your physical Bibles. And uh, we haven't done this in a while, but in honoring the Word of God, if you are there, could you stand? If you are there, could you stand? As we read the word of God, John chapter 3, verse 25 to 30. Stand for the reading of God's word. The word of God says, Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, He who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom. Can we all say friend of the bridegroom? Who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, 
This joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, we may all be seated. The title of today's message, if you're taking notes, it's titled, The Friend of the Bridegroom. The Friend of the Bridegroom. So this passage here, Apostle John is writing this, and he's talking about this guy named John. John the Baptist. And Jacob called me John the Baptist. You know, when I grew up, uh, my name is John as well. Uh, people call me JP. And some people would ask me, hey, John, uh, what, what does your name mean? What is your name like after? And then before I knew, before I asked you, actually asked my mom, I automatically, for some reason, I automatically said, oh, John the Beloved Apostle. John the Beloved Apostle. Not John the Baptist. Not John the Baptist. John the Beloved. I don't know why. I don't know why, but just automatically... I wanted to be connected and associated with John the Beloved more than John the Baptist. It's weird. Maybe because I grew up learning that John the Baptist, who is the cousin of Jesus, he was known to be weird. He lived in the wilderness in the desert. He wore camel's hair. He ate locusts and honey. He was kind of seen as a weird figure. And you know now, now that I understand who John the Baptist is now. Not that I don't love John the Beloved, but I'm like, oh, I actually, actually want to be known as John the, John the Baptist associated with him. You see, here we read that John the Baptist, I want to share a little bit about him. Like I said, he's the cousin of Jesus. And he was a figure known, he made Three main statements that when I say these statements, it'll sound familiar. He's known to make three main statements. And the first is this. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's what he's known for. Second statement is he was known to make straight the way of the Lord to prepare the coming of the king. Make straight, prepare the way of the Lord. So can you all say with me, repent. Prepare the way of the Lord. And the third thing that he was known for was he said, as we read here, Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. These are the three statements that John the Baptist was known for. Let's start with the first one. When John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. I've learned that that word repent is the most gracious, one of the most gracious words ever. That we are given the opportunity and the joy to turn back to Christ each and every day. I preached a message a couple of months ago. And there's a statement I said by Martin Luther. And he said, I love this quote. He said, all of life is repentance. Some of you guys remember that. All of life is repentance. Because the reality is, we turn away to whatever degree every single day. And as His mercies are new every morning, we turn back to Him every single day. We repent and turn back to Him each and every day. John the Baptist, he was very popular. His ministry was kind of big. Even though he was kind of seen as out there, so many people were going to him to be baptized. And they practiced this ritual. It's called the baptism of purification. 
people would go to him and they would be baptized so that they could be cleansed from their sin. But it was not a permanent permanent you know, purification. It was a purification ritual where they would get baptized again and again and again. Okay? Now this was his, you know, his ministry. And then John the Baptist's disciples, they come up to him and he says this. Yo, I mean, not yo. Hey, John, John the Baptist, like, look over there across the river. All the people, all your followers, they're going to him to be baptized. In other words, John, your ministry is shrinking. Your, all your people are going over there. And then he says, he says he was filled with joy because of that. He was filled with joy. John's responsibility was this. His responsibility was to make sure the bride, a.k.a. the church, make sure the bride was pure and to bring her to the bridegroom, which is Christ. Okay? He was to bring repentant Israel the bride being Israel and the Gentiles, his job was to bring repentant Israel to their Messiah. That was his main purpose in life. He said, repent, turn to Christ. Second, prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. It says in John 1.23, he, John the Baptist, was a voice crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 through 5, it says, It prophesies a voice of one calling, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the hill. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall be made level. The rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. John the Baptist, his role was to prepare the way to trailblaze for the coming of the one who mattered most, the bride, the bridegroom. And then he said this in the end, he must increase, I must decrease, meaning it's all about him. This whole story, the whole story of the Bible from beginning to end, the main character is Christ. Christianity, brothers and sisters, I'll say it again. It's about Christ. It's not about us. Christianity in the Bible is not necessarily a book of principles on how to become a better Christian. The Bible is not, let me study this so I can be a better person. Primarily, we'll go into this in this message. The Bible is about Jesus being exalted. All right. John the Baptist, he identifies Jesus as not just the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Jesus, John the Baptist knows who Jesus is. He doesn't identify Jesus as only the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He identifies Jesus as the bridegroom. As the bridegroom. And he identifies himself as his friend, the friend of the bridegroom. Um, I recently had the experience of being a bridegroom, right? I had the experience, Andrew had the experience 
recently of being a bridegroom, I had the privilege of marrying Pauline. Yeah. Three weeks ago. It's been three weeks and we've been married. And I also had the privilege of having people I can call friends. Many people in that room and watching from abroad, I could call my friends. But specifically my groomsmen who were standing up there. My best man was David Ha. And then Daniel is right there. Daniel came over there. And then James Young, he's not here right now. They were my groomsmen. They were my friends. And I can honestly say I'm so thankful for them. You know why? Well, for many reasons. But on that day, I legit felt like they were celebrating me. I legit felt that they were so joy-filled for me. And I'm so grateful. James Hyung, James Lee, he lives in Pohang with his family now. And that morning, he woke up at 5 a.m. to take a KTX to come up to stand with me. And he was so tired. He was so filled with joy. He was so happy for me. And then right after the wedding ended, he took a KTX all the way back down. Okay? Now, I was so grateful that he would be willing to do that for me. You know? And they did a lot to actually even prepare for this amazing day. And I felt so loved and cared for. They didn't try to, uh, they didn't try to steal my thunder. <laughs> actually, it's not just about me, you know. They were celebrating union between Pauline and I. They were celebrating us and what was happening. And many years ago, on Christmas Day, I also got to experience being a groomsman. I was also uh, a groomsman for James Young. <laughs> when he got married to Lydia, I stood with him. And I remember there in that wedding hall, when the doors opened and then Lydia came in, she was just glowing, she was shining. Once she walked in, I couldn't, I don't know why, I just kept crying, I just kept tearing up. And then I looked to my left and the other groomsmen, and they were all crying too. And of course, I looked at James, and he was a mess. And as, you know, Lydia was walking up that aisle, and I saw their union, man, we were all filled with tears of joy and celebration. Because all that they had, you know, James knows especially, James Young, all that they had built up and went through to get to that point. And I got to experience that joy. That joy. In Jewish wedding customs of that day, um, the friend of the bridegroom, it's kind of different from right now. In Jewish wedding customs, the best man or, and also the friends of the bridegroom, you know what they would do? They would be responsible for actually organizing the whole wedding. Did you know that? You know, Andrew and Enzon? Um, organizing a wedding, is it easy? No, it's not easy, right? There's a lot that goes into it. The communication between parties, the organization of the dance and the reception and all these things, it was actually the friends of the bridegroom that organized it. According to tradition, the, grooms, the, the bridegroom, he would go in to, to prepare the place that they would live. So the bridegroom would leave to prepare a place, and the groomsmen, they would organize the whole wedding. Um, 
I mean, I'm thankful for all that my groomsmen did for our wedding, you know, for the organization and that. But, and then what would happen is that when the bride is getting ready, beautifying herself and just preparing and all that, the bridesmaids would help her, but so would the groomsmen. They would organize the whole thing. And then guess what would happen? The, 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 the bride, I mean, Jesus, <laughs> the bridegroom, he wouldn't just show up randomly. He would actually communicate with the best man. He would communicate with the friend of the bridegroom say, are you ready? I'm coming. Telling them signs that he's coming. And then the bridegroom, I mean, the friend of the bridegroom, you know what he would feel? Who would feel excitement, excitement and joy from hearing that voice. Hearing the voice of the bridegroom. That's why it says here in this passage that we just read, John the Baptist, it says that he, he, would, he was there to stand and listen. And it says right there that he experienced joy when he heard the voice of the bridegroom. That's contextualized right there. The Bible says that the bride is God's people, talking about Israel and the Gentiles who have been grafted in. Okay? And the bride was purchased back in the day in Jewish wedding custom. The bride, the parties, the two parties, they would negotiate. And then there was a dowry or negotiation price that was, that was paid. Yeah, I don't think it would fly today, but back in the day, it was like that, right? And then what would happen is they would pay, and then the bridegroom would go away. The Bible says clearly that the bride, us here, Israel, we are purchased by the blood of Jesus. Let me read for us Ephesians 1.13. This is really cool. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of, your, of our inheritance until God redeems His possession to the praise of His glory. In this verse, Paul is saying this, when you believed in Christ, when you and I believed in Christ, it says we were sealed with the guarantee of our salvation, of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Hallelujah. That word, guarantee, in the Greek is arabona. Another, another word that was used interchangeably with arabona, it meant engagement ring. In modern day terms, arabona, guarantee, meant engagement ring. And when you get a revelation of the Holy Spirit being sealed in our hearts, that's like our yes to the Lord after his pursuit of you and I. And we are sealed, guaranteed. And now we wait. We wait until that wedding day. In the book of Revelations, there's going to be a wedding day when the bridegroom comes. The bridegroom comes. And then the church will be ready. The wedding supper of the Lamb, the Bible calls it. And that will be the day that we're all waiting for, that we're all preparing for. Amen? John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus' first coming. 
we as friends are called to carry out the heart of John the Baptist and prepare the way for his second coming. Let me say that one more time. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus' first coming. Brothers and sisters, we have an invitation to be friends of the bridegroom to prepare for the coming of Jesus' second coming. Being a friend of Jesus, what does that look like? Let me just share a couple of points. According to scripture that we read here, being a friend of Jesus means to stand and hear his voice. As we read there in today's passage. To stand and hear his voice. John the Baptist, he was excited. He was anticipating hearing the voice of the bridegroom. As brothers and sisters, we have this relationship with Christ. Well, we aren't just passively waiting. In the meantime, we're called to have oil in our lamps, as it says in Matthew 25. To be a wise virgin and to have intimacy with Jesus now. To be familiar with his voice. To be familiar with the signs that Jesus has told us in the Bible of his coming. To position ourselves to stand and hear and listen anticipating the return of Jesus. That's what I mean. That's the first point of being a friend of Jesus. The second point is this, to joyfully decrease. To joyfully decrease. To long for Jesus to be celebrated and honored, just as John the Baptist did. In this world, it's not easy to see another's Another person's influence growing at our own expense. That's hard, isn't it? Like I shared in the beginning of this message, we have to be careful as we're saturated in this culture, this narcissistic culture, where we can even make Christianity Christianity about us. But my point in this passage is this. It's not our wedding. I mean, it is our wedding. We are the bride. But the focus is Jesus. Amen? Joyfully decrease. I I went to someone at my wedding before it started. I won't say who. And then he came dressed up real nice. He looked real nice. He had a three-piece suit on as a guest. I had a three-piece suit on. And I I, I was joking around with him. I was like, bro, you can't come here looking better than me, man. Why are you trying to steal my thunder? What are you doing, you know? I was like, decrease, man. Wear a two-piece suit, you know? That's a silly example, right? But to joyfully decrease means to constantly, constantly repent. To recalibrate ourselves, to remind ourselves, Christianity is not about me. Joyfully decrease. Third point of being a friend of Jesus, being Christ-centered, life to be Christ-centered rather than self-centered. He must increase, I must decrease. Okay? Um, Our motivation to care about the things that matter to Jesus will be very short-lived if it's all about us. Let me explain. If I were to ask the question, as a friend, as a friend of Jesus, do you know, do we know the things that Jesus cares about? Do we know the things that are important to him? And furthermore, do we make what's important to him, do we make it important to us? Or, if you flip it, I'm not saying Jesus doesn't care about our issues. I'm not saying Jesus doesn't care about the things we go through. I'm not saying that at all. Don't get me wrong. But is it the other way around? 
Jesus, you got to be familiar with the things that are important to me. Let me remind you again and again and again in my prayer life. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. But in our walk with the Lord, as we mature and grow and walk with Jesus, part of friendship is knowing what's important to Him and being passionate about those things. As long as our Christianity is me-centered, we won't have room in our hearts to care for the things that are really burning on His heart, such as His heart for the nation of Israel such as the end times, such as his burning heart for the church, such as God's heart for unreached people groups. All of these things, I'm here, we're all here together. It might seem so far away from our walk with the Lord. But part of growing in friendship with Jesus is to make it about him and the things that he's passionate about. Amen? Fourth, To be a friend of Jesus is to live a holy life and to live in the fear of the Lord. I I preached a sermon titled The Fear of the Lord. And let me read this in Psalm 25 verse 14. It says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. And He makes known to them His covenant. The friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear Him. What does this mean? What does this mean? It means this. Just because you and I are Christians, just because you and I are sons and daughters of God, just because you you and I are in the family of God, does not automatically mean that we have a friendship with God. Salvation is secure. Your sonship is secure. But friendship takes intentionality. Friendship is on purpose. It's cultivated. And in a similar vein, I do want to say this. When it comes to the body of Christ, the church here at New Philly, I will say this. Just because you're a member of this church does not mean automatically that we're all friends. I know that sounds cold. (laughs) I know that sounds bad. We are to pursue friendship, yes. But being a part of a team together, serving together, or being part of a community together, it doesn't automatically make us friends. We are brothers and sisters, hallelujah. We are to pursue friendship. But friendship is cultivated. Same with Jesus. Friendship is cultivated. Abraham was called a friend of God. Moses was called a friend of God. And we can go very detailed into this, but the thing that caused them to be friends of God is the things that mattered to God mattered to them and that they lived a life of joyful obedience. They obeyed God. We should ask ourselves, am I a friend of God? It's not a matter of, do I trust God? But does God trust me? Friendship with the Lord is reserved for those who fear Him. To live a life that is holy. It matters to God. And lastly, being a friend of God, like John the Baptist, 
It means to prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. How? By preparing his church. Preparing his church. It means loving his church. It means building his church. It means serving his church. Kind of like the word I got for Jacob. Washing the feet of his bride. Serving in whatever capacity. So that the church will be built up and matured. Because Jesus is coming back to a church that is glorious. To a church that is radiant. Amen. The role of walking out and living out the spirit of John the Baptist. Being a friend of Jesus. If I were to simplify it. It looks like this. Is to prepare and mature the church. But also to expand the church. Because it says in Revelations that Jesus is coming back to a bride of many different ethnicities, of people groups all over the world. Friendship with Jesus involves growing a heart for global missions. Friendship with Jesus involves a heart of wanting to share the gospel with those around us. And if we are going to continue if we are going to stay living a life where Christianity is self-centered, and I'm not rebuking anybody here. I'm saying this is probably the default, and we constantly got to repent. You know what I mean? If we're going to make it about that, then we won't really care for the things that are on the heart of Christ. Friendship with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I'm so thankful for those who came to our wedding. I felt the joy of everyone coming to celebrate. But if I were to ask someone, if someone, if were, someone were to tell me, if John Westfall were to tell me, hey, bro, um, I talk with so-and-so, and I ask them, um, what are you most excited about, about John and Pauline's wedding? And if John Westfall told me they were excited for the buffet, or if he were to tell me, oh, that person said they were actually excited for uh, just getting dressed up. Because, you know, we can't dress up these days because of Corona. We, can't go, we don't have a lot of opportunities. Or if he said the most important thing that is important to me about this wedding is to, oh, finally, I get to meet uh, my friends without a four-person limitation. <laughs> you know, all these motivations are great. But they're not, they shouldn't be supreme. They shouldn't be supreme. I'm not preaching this message saying you should be focused on celebrating me. That's not the point. I'm preaching this message because there is a wedding day that is coming. And there are many great reasons why we would want Jesus to come back. No more suffering. No more battle against sin. Any reason anyone would want to go to heaven... All these reasons are amazing. But, but, but the primary reason is this, is to celebrate Jesus receiving his bride. That's a Christ-centered perspective. I want to close with this. That wedding day, the purpose of our lives as believers is this. I mean, there's many, but I'll just share for today. It's all about Jesus receiving his inheritance. Can we say inheritance? 
Jesus is worthy of all that he paid for. Amen. I'm reminded of a, of a quote. This quote, you may have heard it before. I love this. It says, may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. And I want to just share where this quote came from. It came from a group called the Moravians. Long, long time ago in Germany, in Hernut, Germany, there was a group called the Moravians led by this guy named Count Zinzendorf. Cool name. They were so on fire for God and their lives so focused and centered on Christ. You know what birthed from that group? A hundred-year prayer meeting. I'm not even joking. A non-stop, 24-7, 100-year prayer meeting. And then there's so many stories from that 100-year prayer meeting. Probably, you can imagine, right? So many testimonies. One of the testimonies where there's two guys burning on their hearts. We need to reach the lost. So you know what they did? They sold themselves into slavery so that they can reach the slaves. They sold themselves into slavery so that they have a better reach and a free pass to another nation, you know, a free ride too. But they did that. And then they said this quote. Their motivation for doing this and sharing the gospel is this. May the lamb that was slain, Jesus, receive his inheritance. Receive the reward of his suffering. Receive worship. Receive affection. Receive love from the people of God, from the bride of Christ. You see, this is all about Jesus, brothers and sisters. I just preached a big picture message today. And this is a message that I, I believe we need to kind of go back to again and again and again. Reminding ourselves, what's the main purpose, main point of the sermon? That our lives, it's not about us. It's about Jesus and his wedding day. Brothers and sisters, can we be friends of the bridegroom?